welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, Ramsey Heights. I'm so glad that you've come to join us once again for another one of our online outdoor services. I hope you've enjoyed this focus series we're in and that it has helped you take your eyes off the world and put them on something more positive. We're going to continue with that this morning. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 10. This morning we are going to look at the sixth out of seven I am statements. These statements are where Jesus says, I am, and he reveals something about himself to us so that we can understand our relationship to him a little bit better. This one starts in verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not for, but to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. So, this is one of the harder I am statements to understand. Jesus says, I am the door. Well, that doesn't really tell us just a whole lot. Let's try to break down, before we get into context, let's try to break down what Jesus means when he says, I am the door. Well, first off, what is a door? What purpose does a door serve? A door gives us relatively two things that it can do. Number one, when the door is open, it becomes an interest. It, fi- it provides, I'm sorry, not an interest, an entrance. It provides access to a place, to a room, to a house, to an area of some sort. So a door can be an entrance that lets people or things in or out of an area. But a door can also be a barricade. I bet you every night when you go to bed, you walk around your house and make sure all of your doors are locked. Why do you do that? The point of locking our doors is there are things on the outside that we don't want on the inside. So those doors that usually allow us to enter and exit are closed and locked and it keeps anything else from getting in and then becomes something for our safety. So Jesus is telling telling us something about himself here. Jesus is saying, I am both an entryway but a barricade of protection. Now, you may be wondering, what is he an entryway into? What are we trying to enter through Jesus into? Well, in order to understand that, you need to understand the conversation Jesus has earlier in chapter 10. You can go back and read that if you want to, but I'll give you a basic breakdown. Jesus is talking about something called a sheepfold, and this was very common in ancient Israel. Now, you might have picked up on the concept of sheep, and it may remind you of a couple of weeks ago when we talked about uh, Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd. And we learned in that that Jesus relates himself to a shepherd that takes care of the sheep. You and I, we are the sheep. So that particular I am is the very next verse after what we just read. So we're still in this concept of us being sheep and Jesus being the shepherd. Now, the concept of a sheepfold is something the shepherd would do to take care of and to protect his sheep. In ancient Israel, shepherds would take their sheep and they would have to graze. And like any animal, they can't graze in the same spot because they would eat up all of the food in that particular pasture. 
So what the shepherd would do is he would take his sheep for days or weeks or maybe even months at a time and he would travel around the surrounding country for miles around. Now, because he was so far away from home, he couldn't return home every night with the sheep and find them a safe place and take them out the next morning. That would be way too much travel. It would be unhealthy for the sheep. So he would build temporary structures out of whatever he had on hand. Now, when you're wandering around the hills and mountains of Israel, you can't run down to Home Depot or Lowe's and buy a bunch of two by fours to build a fence. So what he would do is he would use parts of the land and make a corral called a sheepfold. Take giant rocks and roll them into a circle, cut down briars that were around and put them across the top and weave them in the rocks. And it formed a barricade that the shepherd could then put his sheep into that kept them confined through the night, but it also kept them safe. See, the problem with sheep, and we've talked about this, is sheep are kind of dumb. Sheep need direction. Sheep need somebody to look out for their needs. You can't leave a sheep out at night. They will almost certainly find a way to hurt themselves or get lost, or they will become prey to a bear or lion, is what they had back at this time in Israel. So the shepherd would put them in the sheepfold, and he would keep them there through the night, safe from all of the things that come out at night and could possibly hurt them. Now, there's one problem with this barricade. How do you get in and out of it? You can't leave an area open for the sheep to come into because, well, then whatever you're trying to protect them from will come into that entrance as well. But you also can't completely circle it in because then your sheep could never get in and out. You need a gate. Now, once again, there's nothing to build a gate out of, especially something on a swinging hinge like we would think of today. So what the shepherd would do is he would take the sheep, put them in the sheepfold, and then he would lay his body across the entrance. He would become the door of the sheep. It was only when he decided the sheep could come in or go out that they had that particular ability. So. When Jesus says, I'm the door, he is looking for us to look at the imagery of a shepherd laying across the entrance of a sheepfold, being a barricade to predators and an entrance to the flock. Now, we need to talk about who goes into the sheepfold in order to understand what Jesus is talking about. Shepherds don't just let every sheep within a 10 mile radius come into their sheepfold. Shepherds are responsible only for their flock. So the shepherd laying at the entrance of the sheepfold only lets his sheep in. When Jesus says, I am the door, he is the door of the sheep of you and me if we belong to him, if we are his children or his sheep. Now, you might be asking, okay, we, we understand the point of a sheepfold in ancient Israel, but what does that mean for us? Is, is Jesus corralling us into some kind of a cage and holding us in there? Well, that's not a very good understanding of what Jesus is saying. Let, let's talk about the purpose of a sheepfold that is both historical and biblical. Well, when you put the sheep into the sheepfold, it serves several different purposes. And, and Jesus told us a couple of those purposes. If, if you read in verse 9, he says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. That's the first thing we want to look at. A sheepfold is a place of salvation. Now, salvation, if you've gone to church very much, is a word you hear a lot. It's the word we use when we become a follower of Christ. Is I got saved. I get to go to heaven. I get Jesus. But what does the word saved actually mean? Why do we need to be saved? Well, let's break down that word. 
The word saved means that somebody was in danger and somebody or something pulled them out of danger and took them to a place of safety. For the sheep, nighttime in Israel without protection is a place of danger. Plenty of ways to get hurt, ways to get lost, and predators looking for them. So the shepherd saves his sheep by taking them out of a place of danger and putting them into the sheepfold, or the sheepfold, a place of safety and a place of protection. For you and me, we also need to be saved. See, we live, we are born in a place of spiritual danger. We are born in a place of spiritual darkness, where our sin puts us in danger of the consequences of sin, both in this life and after we die. And so the point of Jesus putting us in a place of salvation is He came to take us out of a place of danger and pull us into a place of safety, represented by the sheepfold. Isn't that amazing to think about that Jesus' job and his goal and his intent is to take us from a place of danger and put us into his sheepfold into a place of safety. And we only enter into the sheepfold by Jesus because he is the door. A sheepfold is also a place of provision. If you keep reading there in verse 10, it says, I am come, I'm sorry, verse uh, 9, he says, and shall go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus talks about the sheep that come into his sheepfold. Not only are they in a place of salvation, a place of safety, a place of protection like we just talked about, they're also in a place of provision. See, the shepherd is responsible for his sheep not only being protected, but also finding pasture, finding what they need, sustenance, things to eat. So when we become followers of Christ, when we become part of his flock, when we are in the sheepfold that we have entered in by Jesus Christ, we find a place of salvation. But what we find that maybe we didn't expect is we find a place of provision. And the shepherd as the door is the one who guides us to that pasture, who takes care of us. We have the ability to rely on him. Because the sheepfold is a place of both salvation and a place of provision, a sheepfold is also a place of rest. See, the shepherd puts the sheep in the sheepfold so that they can rest peaceably in a dangerous time. You and I, when we become followers of Christ, when we become part of the flock, when we enter into the sheepfold, God intends for us to have rest for our souls. Really, what else do you need in life but safety and provision? The two things that God provides in the sheepfold. When those are provided for you and when you focus on what the shepherd is doing for you, it becomes a place of rest for your soul. God does not want us worried about the world around us. And he sure doesn't worry, want us worried about trying to find a way to save ourselves or provide for ourselves. God wants us to rest completely in the knowledge that the shepherd has provided that for us, that we are safe within his sheepfold, that he's not going to lose us, and that he is here for us. Remember, he is the good shepherd. Because it is a place of salvation, provision, and rest, a sheepfold is a place of complete dependence. Think about this. God wants us to come to him. Jesus wants us to come to him and depend on Him fully. Is the sheepfold a place of salvation without the door? No, it's still a dangerous place. If the shepherd doesn't lay across the entrance, it's not a safe place. 
If the shepherd doesn't provide for us, it's not a place of provision. When we enter into the sheepfold, we're in a place of complete dependence upon our shepherd, upon Jesus Christ. And if you find yourself depending on anything today but Jesus, I have news for you. You're not resting in him the way that you want it, that he wants you to. If you're trying to save yourself with some kind of good works or religion or if I do this, if you're trying to provide for yourself or you take pride in everything that you have, you're not resting and depending on the shepherd the way that he intended for you to. See, the shepherd takes care of all of our needs. Now, you might ask yourself, why did Jesus come to provide for us this sheepfold? Why did Jesus come to be the entrance for us into this place of salvation and provision, rest and dependence? Well, he goes on and he tells us about his intent in verse 10. He talks about two people and he compares them. He talks about the thief and then he talks about himself. You might remember that the thief is coming for three reasons, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so Jesus warns that there is something or somebody, some spiritual force out there, and it is coming to take, to take your life, to take from you, or to take your existence, steal, kill, or destroy. Now that's something we need to think about. Who is the thief and what are they after? Well, Jesus makes a valid point here, or I should say an important point. Everything Jesus says is valid. He makes an important point that all that came before me were thieves. That's what he's saying. And so what Jesus is saying when he talks about being the door to the sheepfold and the thieves that come to steal, kill, and destroy, what he's basically saying is if you try to get into a place of salvation, provision, rest, and dependence without going through the door, if anybody or anything seems to offer that to you, it is not here to give you any of those things. It is here to take those things. I would say Jesus was speaking about mere religiousism here. The concept that if I do this, if I act this way, if I go to church, if I follow the rules, I will have all of these things. And Jesus says, all that does is steal from you. At this time in Israel, the Jews had taken the love of God and the grace of God found in the Old Testament and they had reduced it to a list of rules that you had to follow. And the idea was if you don't follow these things, God is mad at you. They missed the point. It's not about God being mad at you. It's about God loving you and protecting you and giving you grace. If you live your life in mere religiousism, wondering if God is mad at you, wondering if you're good enough to get yourself salvation, wondering if you can take care of yourself and not relying totally on the shepherd. You're trying to enter the sheepfold. You're trying to get those same things, but you're not using the door. You're not using Jesus Christ, and he's unhappy with that. See, Jesus tells us what he came for. His intent is different. He says, but I come that they may have life. And I love what he says, and that they may have it abundantly. Abundantly is a word that just really stuck out to me when I was trying to figure out what is Jesus saying? Now, when you hear life, you probably think eternal life and eternal being permanent into the future forever. You're going to have life and you probably equate that to heaven. And that's absolutely true. But that's a small part of what Jesus wants us to have when he says he wants us to have life. And I think we can prove that through the word abundantly. See, if you go into the original text, the word abundantly 
is actually a mathematical term used in accounting and it denotes surplus. It's a quantitative word. It means that there is a measurable amount of life. Now, if you're like me and most people, you probably think of life as a one or two option. Either I'm alive and I have life, or I'm dead and I don't have life. If you check your pulse and see if you're breathing right now, you say, Brian, I have life. Why does Jesus need to come give me life? Well, that's not the kind of life Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a life that you can grow in. He's talking about the abundant life. He's talking about giving you more than you ever dreamed you could have. Now, I want to stop right there because some pastors have used this to say that Jesus is coming to give you monetary things. He, he wants you to be rich, and if you'll follow him, he's going to give you everything. That's not what we're getting at at all, and I don't want you confused. What we're talking about is something much better. Jesus is coming to transform. He came to give you something that you could have never had and transform your life. I think there's a couple stories that maybe show this better than I could ever explain it. Number one is the demoniac of Gadara. This is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not found in the Gospel of John, but the same story is found three places in the Bible. And it talks about an encounter Jesus had with a demon-possessed man. Jesus comes across the Sea of Galilee, and he comes up to an area that is described only as the tombs. You and I might call it a graveyard. And as he gets out of his boat, he encounters a crazed man who is filled with demons. Now, you probably are familiar with the aspect of the story. Jesus asked the man, uh, how, what is your name? And the demons within the man reply, we are legion, meaning there are thousands of demons within this one man. And they beg Jesus, send us into the pigs. And the pigs run down the, uh, the steep place and run into the sea and drown themselves. You probably know that. But I want to focus on the man before and after he met Jesus. See, the Bible tells us, I looked at all three accounts, the Bible tells us a few things about this man. Number one, this man was alone. It said that nobody would come to where he was. On the rare occasion he was around people, they would tackle him and they would chain him up. But he had so many demons that he was um, able to tear his chains and run away. The story tells us that the man was naked, that he set out in this area in the wilderness by himself. He had no clothing or protection for himself. It also tells us that his existence was filled full of crying out in agony. He screamed and he cried at the top of his lungs in the middle of the night. He hurt so much because of the demons that were within him. And for whatever reason, I don't know what it is that causes somebody to want to hurt themselves when they're in agony, but he would take sharp rocks and cut himself. So we have a man who is alone, who is hated by everybody around him, who, who lives in complete agony that he just screams and cries all night and he harms himself trying to find some escape from the pain. I think maybe the most telling part of the story of the demoniac at Gadara is where he lived. It's that he lived among the tombs. Well, what are tombs? Tombs is where we put dead people. And I think that that was put in the Bible for a reason. This man may have physically been alive, but he was spiritually dead. And it shows us a picture of what it's like to be spiritually dead. He dwelled among the dead. He dwelled in the tombs. Put one encounter with Jesus, and he got life. 
the next time we're introduced to the demoniac of Gadara, we are told that he is sitting at the right foot, or sitting at the feet of Jesus, that he is clothed, and that he is in his right mind. He's no longer screaming in agony. He's no longer naked. He's no longer alone. He has Jesus. And when Jesus says, I came to give them life and give that, or that they may have it abundantly, that's what Jesus is talking about. I came to give them life like the demoniac at Gadara have. Relationship when he was alone, clothing when he was naked, and love when he was uh, cast out by other people. We measure our quantity of life based on the quality of the experience. And the truth is, the experience that we have in Jesus or without Jesus Christ is a rather sad experience. We're all much like the demoniac of Gadara. We're all naked. We all have a spiritual darkness. We all carry pain and we're all relatively alone. But one encounter with Jesus can change that, where we can be clothed in righteousness. We can sit at the feet of Jesus and have a relationship with Him. And we can see clearly, maybe for the first time in our lives. See, Jesus wants us to depend on Him fully. He wants to free us from sin. When we talk about salvation, what we're actually talking about is not, do I go to heaven or hell? We're talking about freedom from sin that that controls us from the moment we're born to the moment we encounter Jesus Christ. We're talking about freedom from the consequences, salvation from the consequences of sin, which does include the eternal consequences, but it also includes the consequences right now. He wants us completely dependent upon Him for all of these things and not trying to earn it ourselves. Now, I'll be honest with you. This is maybe the most difficult I am that I've tried to teach. And all week I have tried to figure out how do I describe life? What does it mean? How can I define this life that Jesus is talking about? And it's been hard. As a matter of fact, I'm re-recording this sermon today because I recorded it yesterday and it just wasn't right. I had to study some more and I had to come up with a better answer. And, And as I prayed last night, I realized that What Jesus is talking about when he said, give life and give it abundantly, is that he just wants us to have more than we have now. Now, Jesus wants us to have more joy, more security, more hope, more trust in him. All of the things that we are not naturally born with, he wants to pour it into us that we can have more. It also includes all of the things that we've talked about over this I Am series. He wants us to have more fullness. He wants us to have more purpose. He wants us to have more fruit where He pours love, joy, peace, patience, kindness into us and it overflows out of us. He wants us to have more light in a dark world. Jesus came to give us something more, something that we can't earn, something that we can't find by ourselves and something that we can never achieve without Jesus. And that is why He is the door He is the entrance into the sheepfold. That is where life is found, and life abundantly. I wanted to share with you one more story that I think describes the importance of this life that he's talking about. The story takes place in the early 1800s. There was a bit of a 
Christian revolution in Europe and, and several missionaries got it in their head that they wanted to reach unreached people in India. They wanted to go to the far mountains and look at the rural uh, primitive tribes that lived out there and they wanted to take the message of Jesus to them. This story centers around one of those tribes called the Garo tribe. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the history of the Garo tribe. They're very primitive. They, they lived, obviously, in mountain villages. They didn't have co <coughs> excuse me, contact with the outside world. They never were um, introduced to technology. And they were very primitive in their religion and their lifestyle. When the missionaries came to find the Garo, they came with this hope of giving them Jesus, giving them the gospel. But they found a tribe of people that were not very happy to see them. See, the Garo were a tribe of headhunters. And if you're not familiar with that, some ancient tribes believed that there was power in killing enemies and keeping their heads as trophies. It's kind of grotesque, I know, but it's the truth of the tribe. As a matter of fact, a young man in this tribe, his ability to find a wife and get married was based on how many heads he was able to hang up in his house. So you can imagine going into this tribe and trying to spread Jesus with them. It was dangerous and it was not well received. Before the missionaries were left, before the missionaries ran off or were ran off from the tribe, they were able to convert one man, his wife, and their two children. The man's name was Noxing, and he abandoned his primitive life while still living in the village. He abandoned the style of headhunting and all the other sin, and he fully trusted in Jesus and became a follower of Christ. His whole family did. Now, something special about the gospel is it's contagious. When the others in the tribe who had lived in this state of spiritual darkness saw Noxing and his wife and what was happening and changing with them, they were attracted to the gospel and Noxing was able to lead many of his tribe's people to Christ. The tribal elders and the tribal leader, the chief, they didn't like this. They didn't like this new religion that followed a man from some far ancient place named Jesus. They didn't like that their, their tribe was changing. They didn't like that people were saying, hey, we shouldn't murder for the sake of social standing. They didn't like any of it. And they decided the source of all this trouble is this man, Noxing. So they pull Noxing up in front of the tribe and make it pretty clear. You're in danger. Your life is in danger. Noxing, we want to answer for you. And they challenged him, you will deny this new religion and you will deny Christ. You will walk away from this or else there will be consequences. Noxing stood in front of his whole tribe under the penalty of death. And I can only say, moved by the Holy Spirit, he answered in song. A song never heard before, but we now sing quite a bit. It's the first verse of, I have decided to follow Jesus. And so he sang to these people under threat of death, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. What would cause a man to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, under threat of death. I mean, it would be so easy. Knox saying, just deny Jesus Christ. Walk away from this religion. Get rid of that Bible that you have. Quit talking about this man called Jesus. Preserve your life. Why wouldn't you do that? I think Knox Singh weighed the options and he decided 
that what he had found in Jesus Christ was more important to him than what could be taken away from him by that tribe. You can imagine that answer wasn't very well received. The, the tribal leader knew that he had to win this battle, and so he decided that he was going to punish Noxing without killing him. He ordered Noxing's wife and children be killed, and as the bodies of them lay before Noxing, he said, Look what your religion has cost you. Look what this Jesus Christ has cost you. You've lost your wife, you've lost your children, and you're fixing to lose your own life. Noxing, deny your faith in Christ. Noxing once again answered, Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. I don't have to tell you how that story ended. You already know. And I'm tempted to say that that day Noxing lost his life, <laughs> but he didn't. See, Noxing weighed the life that he was given by Jesus Christ versus his earthly existence. And while, yes, his soul was separated from his physical body, he didn't lose his life. Because you cannot lose the life that Jesus Christ gave you. Noxing gave up his physical existence because of the abundant life Jesus gave him. And he said, this is more important to me. When Christians give up things in this life, it's not because it's a set of rules or a religion or we're hoping that if we act a certain way that we get to go to heaven. It's because we weigh the things that we're sacrificing versus what we've been given by Jesus when we've entered through Him, when we've become part of the sheepfold and we say, I'd rather have Jesus than these other things. That story has an amazing ending. Noxing may have died that day, but life abounded. The chief looked at the bodies of these four people that he had just killed, and he was so moved by their faith in Jesus Christ, without understanding it, he realized there was something they had that he didn't, and he desired to have life like they did. And in that moment, the chief declared, I too am a follower of Jesus. And the entire tribe became believers in Jesus Christ. They entered by the door into the flock. And to this day, the song of the Garo people is, I have decided to follow Jesus. See, God works in amazing ways. And what He gives us is, worth, or is so much better than anything that He could ever ask us to sacrifice. The only way we are ever going to get true life is through Jesus. And so I want to ask you this question. Do you have that true life this morning? Or have you tried to find life in other things? Tried to find it in good works, in self-help books, in acting a certain way in your own brand of morality? You're never going to find it. It is only through Jesus Christ that you're going to find true life. Now, for some of us, we've studied this series and we've grown in our knowledge of Christ and it has encouraged me to seek out more of this life that Jesus has called me to, to, to put more effort into following Him and, and focusing on Jesus Christ as my shepherd and as my door and to live that way every single day. But for some of us, we've never entered into the flock. And you're listening to this and while you might not say it, there's something drawing you to this concept of Jesus. You're hearing something you've never heard before. You're hearing about life, and you know that you don't have it. I want to invite you today 
to become a follower of Christ, to put your faith in Him, to enter into the sheepfold with me and other believers. It's only through Jesus. You'll never find this life anywhere else. Let's pray to end today's services. Father in heaven, God, we just thank you so much that you would love us enough to give us life, a life that we could never have without you. Lord, we love you with all of our heart, and we, we just want to praise you for everything you do. God, I just, I just want to ask you that if anybody is listening to this, that you will move in their heart. God, you will give them a desire to experience life, to experience the greatness of life with you. Lord, we pray that we'll be able to meet soon and that we'll be able to celebrate you together. Lord, we love you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been keeping up with the news, you may know that we're going to be getting back together. It sounds like pretty soon. So we will be coming out with an announcement in the next week or two about when we will be able to be back at Ramsey Heights together. Until then, have a great week.